from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus, dear friends. The part of God's Word that we'll give our attention to this afternoon comes from the Gospel of John. Since this is a record of our Savior's words and works, I invite you to be Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. I think probably many of you know that John chapter 10 is that very well-known Good Shepherd chapter in the Gospels. But it wasn't a single lesson taught by Jesus on a single day. Some of the very familiar words from earlier in this chapter were spoken about two months before the words in our verses today. Back then, Jesus had said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is why the Father loves me. He said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own, and I have authority to take it up again. But these beautiful words that we hold so dear actually divided the people who first heard them. Some of the people who were listening said, he has a demon, he's out of his mind, why listen to him? The world is full of talkers, but this is really over the top. This guy is out of his mind. But others said, these are not the words of someone demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? These people were listening and also watching. And they were starting to put things together. The words Jesus had spoken certainly had an impact on everyone who was listening, one way or the other. And then he just kind of let them simmer for a little while. Now, about two months later, he's back in Jerusalem. It's the festival of dedication, festival that celebrated the purification and rededication of the temple under Judas Maccabeus after it had been desecrated by enemies. And now Jesus was going to have a chance to take up this lesson once again. And would the reaction by the people be any different this time? As Jesus was walking in the temple courts, 
the Jews who were there, maybe some of the same ones who had dismissed his teaching earlier, they gathered around him and they press him with this question. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And maybe we kind of wonder if they were sincere with this question or if these are just empty words. For us, when we don't know what's behind a person's words, we know we have an obligation to take them in the kindest possible way. We have an obligation to put the best construction on things. But Jesus, of course, knows everything. And his reply on this occasion demonstrated that this question was not sincere. He said to them, I did tell you, but you do not believe. I did tell you. And there's no doubt he had. I mean, if you go back to some of the earlier chapters in John's Gospel, just think of the many statements that Jesus made publicly and openly that said exactly who he is. The scriptures testify about me, Jesus said, talking about all of those Old Testament scriptures that pointed ahead to the coming Messiah. I have come in my Father's name. I am the bread that came down from heaven. The living Father sent me. I am from above. If you do not believe that I am the one, you will die in your sins. I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. He did tell them. All of these statements offer proof that Jesus is the Messiah. They take people in that direction that Jesus was claiming about himself. They show that he's the very Son of God and that he's God himself. And the people were understanding Jesus' words. I mean, when he made this last statement, we're told that the people started to pick up stones. They're going to stone him, put him to death, because they understood what he was claiming. And in their opinion, it was blasphemy. He had told them. The problem was that they weren't believing. The fact is, Jesus hadn't just told them. He had also shown them by the things that he did. The miracles that he had performed up to this point in his ministry verified also that the words of his opponents were empty, insincere. He said to them, the works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me. Two months earlier, some in the crowd had recognized that. After Jesus had restored the sight of a man who was born blind, remember the people asked, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They were putting it together. But of course, there were many other things that also offered the same proof. By this time, Jesus had already turned that water into wine, the wedding celebration in Cana. You can imagine how some of the guests who had gathered on that day must have shared the experience they had with others when they left. 
there was a man who was lame that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. And after he healed him, that man went to the Jews and told them that it was Jesus himself who had made him well. And after that little encounter, we're told that they tried all the more to kill Jesus. There's the feeding of the 5,000, probably closer to 20,000 since only the men were counted. No doubt, news about that miracle would have spread like wildfire. It's not as if Jesus hadn't told them. It's not as if he hadn't done things to verify his words. The problem here wasn't with Jesus. It wasn't a lack of communication on his part. The problem was with the people. Jesus said, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. We don't want to misunderstand. It's not that Jesus didn't want them to be his sheep. The very fact that he continued to speak to them, to point to himself as the good shepherd, even as they were rejecting him, shows that he wanted them to be part of the flock. He's simply telling them the way things were right then and there. As they continued to reject his words, as they continued to ignore his words, they could put on a good front all they wanted. They could put on a show that they were sincere. You know, how long will you keep us in suspense, Jesus? We really want to know. But the fact is, their words were empty. You are not my sheep, Jesus says. Is that a statement that he can ever make to us? Maybe we go to him in prayer, asking for direction and guidance on something. But our words are empty because we've already decided what it is we're going to do. Or maybe we go in prayer asking him to strengthen us for our battle against temptation. That sounds good. But our words are empty because we have no real intention of leaving behind that sin that we love so much. Maybe we go and ask him to give us insight so that we can better understand and better accept some of the hard teachings in his word, especially those that are so out of step with the world in which we live. Give me that insight, Jesus, that understanding. But again, our words may be empty because we're already kind of convinced that we have the right view of things. The truth is, each one of us has a sinful nature that has no desire to be one of Jesus' sheep. But like the Jews who gathered around him that day, we often try to cover that over with some sincere sounding, but ultimately empty words. And Jesus knows. But of course, that's why he came. That's why he continues to speak to us. And his words are never empty. Jesus says, my sheep, listen to my voice. This is our Savior's call for us, to shut out the voice of our sinful nature and open our ears 
to his words of grace. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. I have come to seek and save the lost. I have come to seek and to save you. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. Jesus is fully aware of the sins that we commit, fully aware of the sinful attitudes in our hearts that we sometimes try to cover over with sincere-sounding words. But in his grace, he chose to love us anyways. From eternity, he knew us and loved us and planned for our salvation. I know them, Jesus says, and they follow me. His words are the only thing that has the power to shut down that voice of the sinful nature and bring us back into the flock again, to bring us back to his side so that we follow him. Because as we do, he wants us to find safety and life in him. He says, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Those are big promises that the good shepherd makes to the sheep. But again, Jesus' words are never empty. The miracles he had done up to this point in his ministry were enough to validate that these promises could be kept. But the works that were yet to come, these are the ones that would close the case on any uncertainty whatsoever. When the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, he secured our salvation. He washed us clean from all of our sins. He covered, it, covered us in his perfect righteousness and restored our right relationship with the Father. And when by his own authority he took up his life again three days later, he assured us of that truth that we will never perish. Since the good shepherd lives, his sheep also will live. Just as we follow him in life, confident of his perfect care, that means we can also follow him in death. Because we know exactly what's coming. We got a preview of it in our reading from Revelation today. These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? The question could have been answered like this. These are the sheep who have followed their shepherd home. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus' innocent death and his glorious resurrection is what shows that his words are never empty. His promises never fail. And so we follow. And as we do, as we continue to journey through this world, where Satan is still pursuing us and wanting to devour us, where the world is still trying to deceive us and make us part of its own, where our own sinful nature continues to war against that new person that God created in us when he brought us to faith in Jesus. As we continue to journey through life in this fallen world, 
we can hold on to that last promise that we hear from the Good Shepherd in these verses. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The one who knew us and loved us from eternity. The one who made himself nothing for us and laid down his life in our place isn't about to let anything or anyone cut us out of the flock now and rob us of the salvation that he's prepared for us. The Apostle Paul expresses his confidence in this promise when he writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. But he goes even further. He tells us, the sheep, that he and his father, they're on the same page with this promise. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. That's certainty. And with that last statement, Jesus once again gives answer to the question of his opponents. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Whether those are empty words from an insincere heart or honest words from a struggling heart, Jesus is happy to answer them. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, your Savior. I give you eternal life. You shall never perish. I and the Father are one, and no one can snatch you out of my hand or his. His innocent death, his glorious resurrection, they prove it. Jesus' divine works expose the empty words of his opponents. But at the same time, they assure us his sheep, that his words are never empty. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.